All the games I used to play in my younger wilder days. The game of clubs and tees it never crossed my mind. Welcome into another episode of the Turn Fancy Golf Podcast. We're calling this episode the last call from the Masters or before the Masters. I, I think I've got on the on the on the um, the notes that this is uh, Masters Eve we're sitting on right here. We got our man Rob from Rotoballer, uh, fellow Rotoball content provider. Um, has a show. What's you say? Your show is called The Approach. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's, That's right, right. The Approach. And uh, of course, I got my friend here, Joe Nicely, uh, lead golf editor at rotoballer.com. Joe, first of all, tell us what Rotoballer's got going on for the Masters before we get into what we got to talk about tonight. Yeah, uh, we, we got anything you need, AP. Um, you know, it's a uh, last call for alcohol over at Roto Baller. Uh, you can head over there and uh, you can check out uh, Rob's Pivot, Pivots articles over there, which is a, a new addition to our content this year and something we're really proud of and happy to have Rob doing that for us. Uh, our buddy Byron, the model maniac, has got a – it's just such a fun read. His uh, Breaking 100 betting article, uh, definitely want to recommend that. And then uh, – you know, Spencer Aguiar, the uh, reigning FSWA golf rider of the year, uh, kind of heading things up over there from uh, from a premium perspective. So head over to rotoballer.com. You can sign up using our promo code TURN. Uh, get a discount on that. If you just want to check us out for the Masters, we offer a weekly pass. Uh, Spencer will be popping out showdown content all throughout the Masters. That's uh, premium. Uh, so you definitely want to sign up to get access to that, and we appreciate you checking us out. That's right. So, uh, Rob, like I said, uh, appreciate you coming on. It's a uh, good, like you said, before we came on, uh, we were talking about, we got another guy here from the Southeastern Southeastern conference. Um, I hear you're a big blue fan. Is that right? Oh, huge big blue fan. Not only from the sec, sec East. And so I don't, yeah, I was going to tell you, I don't say it often, uh, because we're rivals, but I'm actually looking forward to talking with a few Vols fan. I, I almost, I think I told Joe when you came on the approach that, almost reached out to you all in the sec tournament uh if you all wanted to place a bet and i'm glad i didn't but you know i know we're rivals and you know when it is sec play you know i want you to lose every single game but once you get into the tournament like i i bet you all had an outright on you all um before the sec you know i root for you in the tournament i was rooting for you uh to go all the way so i'm not like one of those fans that hates your rival uh I want I want to see the SEC do well. I want to see Tennessee do well, but in league play and obviously when we play Kentucky, I want you, I want, want you all to lay an egg. Yeah, I don't blame you. I I definitely think that um, in the last decade or I'd say the last twenty years, the Tennessee Kentucky basketball has gotten a lot more juicy. Uh, it seems like every year it's a fist fight. So yeah, well, like it, in the last in football, in the last like five years, ever since Stoops, he's made that probably a little bit more competitive. I mean, you all still have the, the large upper hand in that, but made us a little bit more competitive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, SEC's fun. But, you know, guys, we're here. But You know what? Well, yeah. We could have a whole podcast about SEC stuff, but uh, and I'm sure everybody in the North would love to hear that. But uh, let's let's get on to the, what we're here to talk about. Uh, this is the last call of the Masters. Uh, our, our goal was when we brought you on, Rob, is that is, you know we're going to kind of go through uh, some highlight some guys that have some high ownership, and 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 this is what you you know you do best talk about pivot moves. And uh, um, without further ado, first of all, um, is there anybody 
right out of the gate that that you've kind of circled that you've been on uh, from day one and, and stayed on and and um, and you know despite their ownership or you can talk about their ownership whichever. Yeah, well, the first guy would be Victor Hovland, and and it's really maybe inflated how like my love for him this week because of his ownership is so low. So he's under twelve percent projected right now. Uh, and, and there is so much course history, you know, weight into the Masters, and rightfully so, that, you know, there's evidence that supports that. And so, so the reason I think Hovland's ownership might be so low, one, he's only played here twice. And if you just look at the results, they're not going to blow you away. But his first start, when he, he was an amateur and one low amateur, so, and like, yeah, his first start even seeing Augusta, Augusta, um, and so take that with a grain of salt. And then last year he finished, uh, I think tied in for 21st and he did so with a triple at hole one on Thursday. And if he just pars that hole, he finishes, uh, tied for 10. So again, a big if, but, um, I, I, so I think his, his course history is maybe a little bit, uh, skewed, but then you just look at outside of around the green, which I know is not his strength. Um, and you know, nobody will let you forget it, but he just ball strikes the hell out of the golf ball ranks second in proximity and on approach in the last 24 rounds. Uh, one of the best driver of the golf ball in the last six months, um, uh, at under, you know, 13 and 12%, gosh, that is a steal of Victor Hovland at, uh, yeah, 10, one as his salary. So that's the first guy I landed to. What about you all? Anybody that got your eye initially and that you stuck with? Joe, go ahead because I got I got a lot to say about this. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think maybe we all do um, because because this is such a this this week does have so many moving parts to it. Um, so you know, I try not to let ownership dictate completely what I'm doing, but you know, there there are some obvious things uh the, at the top of the board the thing that jumps out to me is justin thomas i think he's going to be far and away the most popular player up there um but it's with good reason <laughs> uh i mean he's a guy that i think most of us probably circled heading into this week um uh, but but it's 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 going to be interesting to see just where that ownership gets in different contests uh you know at, at this point you want to kind of start looking at least me personally I, i'm looking at a scotty scheffler um you know who's who's hovering there around 10 percent he's actually going to probably be the lowest on guy up there when, when we're talking about jt dj rom uh and, and himself so this is the hottest player in the world at the moment boys uh three wins in his last five starts and we, and we might can grab a little bit of ownership leverage here so um looking at scotty scheffler um rob mentioned victor hovland i'm also very interested in calling morikawa uh, who I feel like is going to go under owned this week uh, in comparison to some of the other higher price guys. Um, so just up there at the top of the board, uh, you, you kind of got to maneuver around JT a little bit, I feel, um, even though I think we kind of all agree he's an excellent play and an excellent player. Um, but but I think there's some leverage to grab up at the top of the board by looking at guys like, uh, like Vic, as, as Rob said, Colin and uh, Scotty Scheffler. So... I had um, I'm, I've never been. I, I've even tweeted about this. I've had a lot of talk with, with Joe about this. He is a huge Cam Smith um, promoter, propaganda. He's a Cam Smith propaganda guy, and uh, I've never been a Cam Smith truther. Yeah, I've, I've I've never been a Cam Smith guy for whatever reason. Uh, 
but I watched every, almost every shot of the players because uh, just there's so many delays and 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 with the the ESPN Plus app was pretty good coverage on TPC, so I got to watch a lot of it uh, whether I was in front of a TV or not because we got a lot of. Uh, in my house with four kids, I've got a lot of Coco Melon and and uh, Disney <laughs> Junior and stuff like that. So, so I'm 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 a tablet watcher guy. So uh, anyway, I've had so since that day I've had Cam Smith circled, and let's look at it, guys. I mean, three out of the last four years he's finished in the top ten. The one year he didn't was 2019 when they played it. Uh, you know, the, or excuse me, excuse me, back up, back up, back. So three out of the last four years he finished in the top ten. Um, he's coming, he, no doubt he's coming off his, he's in the middle of his best year of his career. Um, he can get away with the wiry driver from time to time on this golf course. Um, and I've had, I mean, a big circle around him, um, expected the pricing to be, honestly, I expect him to be three or four guys. Uh, I figured, I thought he'd be less expensive than Brooks, to be honest with you, coming out of the gate. I thought he'd be right above Zalatoris in my mind. And and then I uh, you know and then they get on you know I'm, everything I'm reading is everybody's talking Cam Smith for the same reasons I'm saying it just now so then crossed him out right and um, and um, I'm always been a big stack guy I always stack you know uh, two to three guys uh, in every lineup just about hundred percent and uh, and if, if those two or three guys do well I do well and. Um, he was planning on being my one of my one of my key guys, and scratched him off, and went another direction. And um, uh, as the day has ticked on, I've come, I've come back to Cam Smith again, and not necessarily from from a guy that's going to be the uh, one of the stack guys, but he's definitely going to be sprinkling in. I mean, he, yeah, I figure he's a, just a hair cheaper than everybody up there at nine nine hundred, just below ten k. He's going to be about you know anywhere between eighteen and twenty three percent owned wherever it is you're looking. Um, so I'll be honest. I had, I had, uh, Brooks sprinkled in and I, I've, I've cut ties with Brooks this week and I know Jeff's going to hurt Joe's heart, but oh, me and mistake, buddy. Mistake. <laughs> I've cut ties with Brooksy this week and, uh, I've, I've sprinkled in Cam Smith where I had him. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's the guy that I had circled that I've taken out, but my, my main guy this week, my number one is, uh, Dustin Johnson. Uh, we've, talked about on this show numerous times that we love seeing Dustin Johnson play uh, continuously to improve over a four to six week period leading up to a tournament. And then boom, he blows the field away. And I feel like we're in the middle of that trend. Now I was actually talking to my dad today and I said that he's going to win this week or next week. I'm going to go and tell you, cause it, it, it's like a carbon copy. If you look at his career, you know, he, he plays, he's playing pretty bad. Uh, you know, and 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 not hitting his short irons well, not getting up and down, not putting well, and then boom, all of a sudden you see him, you know, he finishes 20th like two weeks in a row, and then he finishes 10th two weeks in a row, you know, then he shoots 62, 3, 4, whatever it was at the TPC in the final round, and he plays pretty well at the match play, and I mean, we're sitting on the, we're sitting on the cusp of him winning a tournament, it's going to be this week or next week, I'm calling it right now, and I'm going to clip this so we can, uh, we can put that out on, on Twitter later, but it's, <laughs> Dustin Johnson is my guy. Um, you know, and his odds aren't great, but it is, he's a little bit cheaper than Roman Scheffler. He's won here before. Uh, he p- destroys par fives here. Uh, long par fours are his, his his gift. He puts it pretty well. He chips it pretty well. Um, 
and he likes playing here. So as long as he don't walk down the steps with socks tonight, I got Dustin Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Or unless Paulina doesn't push him down the steps. Depends on what you believe. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, couple of the – you guys already mentioned JT, another high on guys, John Rom. Uh, and I can understand all the, you know, John Rom and Justin Thomas being the two most expensive, most likely players up here. Does that scare you all away? Or, or I mean, I feel like with a field of, you know, 75 guys or so that can physically make the cut on a regular basis, you know, of 50, uh, are we not trying to be a little bit more contrarian here and, and, and go with the low ownership guys, or do you even care about that? Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, well, I, I really care about that, but it really depends on a contest selection. And so obviously everyone that's probably listened to this has already entered in their contest. Um, but it's tricky this week because you have casual fans who don't usually play, you know, the PGA Tour or, you know, play golf at all. And, you know, NBA is winding down. And so you're getting a lot more volume. And so some of these contests, especially the Millie Maker, you know, has hundreds of thousands of entries. And with it being a condensed field, and then you have, you can kind of cut out 15 of the past champion winners that are very likely not even to make the cut. It's, it almost plays like a WGC a little bit that there's like a, a small cut. And so if you're thinking, okay, because it's condensed and then you throw in, like it's get peppered with golfers have to have uh, course history to play well here that really condenses ownership and so if you're playing in these large field gpps you have to look at ownership because it's going to be so condensed you're going to have multiple lineups that are duplicated and these dupes are going to be more than an average tournament i, I feel and so you know chalk typically holds up at at the masters but we got to find that that like justin harding that CP Pan or that Stewart Singh last year who finished T12 or McIntyre finished well last year, you got to find that contrarian play and you have to kind of think of ownership. So you get Rom at 19% right now and his ownership is trending up and there's no evidence to back this up. But I kind of believe with golfing or with sport, or maybe anything in life, when it kind of rains, it pours. And so Rom is, you know, struggling with the putter and we've seen that. And when you kind of have, uh, you know, something that's kind of been solid for so long, kind of, you know, that strength turn into a weakness, it can, you know, be toxic and infiltrate the rest of his game. So I'm just worried that there's bad karma, maybe is a better way to play it, as it rolls with John Rahm. Like he's getting unlucky breaks, and so he just doesn't have that maybe good energy. And so that could be just and likely is a justification not to play him, but I'm fine with that justification if it's, you know, if he's almost 20% owned, I would much rather go to a call-in. I love your DJ call. Uh, you know, Rory is, you know, as we get down at the bottom of the 10K, the, the biggest wild card who I do like a lot because he's usually one of the chalkiest guys in the Masters, one of the, and now we get him at around 13%. That's an ownership discount. So, you know, there's a narrative around Rory that he likes it uh, soft. And if we get a lot of rain the last two days, maybe this sets up well for Rory. But to answer your question, yeah, I, I think ownership matters obviously every week, but maybe even more important this week. And so, like, ways to get contrarian, you're going to have to think about it, whether it's picking golfers or leaving salary on the table or yeah, any way that works for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I, I do agree, and this might be the only week of the year that I, I'll be willing to put, you know, you know, play or you know, stack up chalk guys and, and fill it in with the because, like you said, you're looking for the, you know, the 
you know, Corey Connors to finish tied eighth, you know, when, when he's the, when he's the chalk. And then you're also hoping, you know, that, that, that John Rom finishes top 10, like he has like the last 19 years he's played here, it seems like. And, and, and same thing with, uh, I mean, you know, I, I didn't realize that I had no idea that Rory had finished like top 10, like eight times in the last 19 years or something. I had no idea because it's just so quiet. Uh, um, and, I'm interested to see. What about you, Joe? Are, are you staying away? Is, is, is the ownership concerned to you with the field like this? I try to be mindful of it, but I don't try to let it – I try not to let it dictate what I'm going to do. Um, if there's a player that I really, really like, I'm not going to – I'm not going to not play that guy because his ownership's a little high. Um, I, I'll try to get – you know, I'll try to get contrarian in other spots in my lineup. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take cumulative ownership – into account but uh you know i'm not gonna let i'm not gonna let ownership dictate uh, me coming off a guy that i really like that, that i've researched and feel really confident in um uh, you know i don't want to abandon ship wednesday night um you know just because a guy uh, a certain ownership projection number beside a guy says a certain thing um but at the same time and rob touched on it, i think a lot of it comes down to contest selection you know if you're if you're playing in the $15 millimaker this week. It's got uh, 300,000 plus entries. You know, I, I think it it's uh, smart to be a little contrarian, to try to mindfully be contrarian in that type of tournament. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's where I am on ownership. I feel like it's important. I want to take it into account, uh, but I also don't want to let it completely dictate what I'm doing as far as coming off a guy that I really like. Um, you know, a guy like Rory, uh, Rob kind of touched on. I, I want Rob to put his... Uh, professional hat on here for a second I, I think this tournament for rory is more much more of a psychological uh problem than a physical one and, and i just don't know about rory holding up in, in this thing i could maybe see a late charge like him coming from behind um but but it, it this seems to be a psychological thing with he and he and augusta national at this point you got any thoughts on that rob yeah and again a lot of it is just you know, wonderings. And I, I think you nailed it right on the head that it's, you know, this is for his career grand slam. And for so many years, he's asked about it every single time he steps on the property. And I, I don't know if this is what he's experiencing, but with that pressure, one thing that happens with pressure is it activates the part of the brain of fight or flight. And you start getting like the what ifs, like, what if I never get it? What if I don't get it? Um, or just like, Hey, I need this. I have to have it where it's almost like desperation. Well, and anytime you get in fight or flight, um, you have the opportunity for the fear part of the brain to take over. And if it's fear-based, your body, mind, and emotions all listens to it. And your body kind of almost hedges its bet in a way. Just like if, if I'm a receiver and I'm going and I'm in the slot and I'm going over the middle and I get you know hit hard by a linebacker because the quarterback overthrows me, and then I had I run the same play the next time. I'm going to get alligator arms without even thinking it as a way to protect me. Our mind works, you know, very similar. And so we don't play loose. We don't play, you know, in, in a state of flow. We don't be free. Uh, we're more playing in like the conscious mind about like what ifs and it's fear-based. And so again, all that is just wonderings, but I, I believe you're a thousand percent right that it's just mental with, with Rory. And it just has been like his whole game is now because he hasn't played well um, you know, comparative to when he was number one in the world. So I, it just doesn't look like a free golf swing, a free golfer. It looks very calculated, very thoughtful. And, um, you know, it's just hard to play golf that way. 
Yeah, I, I agree, man. And I mean, I don't want it misconstrued. I love Rory. I would yeah. maybe other than Tiger, I would like to see Rory win this week more than anybody else. Um, but, but I just don't know that he can get there. I mean, we we've seen him. Uh, you know, say he's not taking taking this tournament as, as seriously. We've seen him say he's only focusing on this tournament. We see him. We've seen him play the week uh, before this year. Uh, played Valero last week. So I think he's just kind of all over the board. Um, heard a lot of people that really like him. I know the course history is great, and certainly the talent's there. But uh, you know, when when you start comparing him with some of these other guys up the top, I, I, that that's just a concern for me with Rory is kind of the psychological aspect with him in this tournament. You know, if they're on the back nine uh, on Sunday and they're, you know, they're on 15 and they're tied and it's Tiger and Rory, who are you all, who are you all pulling for? Mm. Uh, Luis Ustazen, 85 to one. Lou would be cool too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, that's, there's a, there's a pretty interesting juxtaposition there. We, we saw what, what Tiger did in 2019 uh, down the stretch. And uh, we've seen what Rory's done a couple times, uh, including I think 2018 when he's when he's in the final group with Patrick Reed, um, basically basically played himself out of that thing within the first couple holes. Um, so, you know, there again it goes back to a little bit of mental toughness required down the stretch in this event this week. Yeah, and like the year Charles won, which I think was like 11 or 10, just totally fell apart. Put it in the woods yeah. on. On, on number 10 um, and kind of get gift wrapped it to Charles. So yeah, it's just very mental. You know, I, I, as, as, as rock solid as statistics are and the strokes game things that we can pull from and, and, you know, going to rotoballer.com and, and pulling, making optimizing lineups and everything. In reality, we just use statistics to, uh, to uh, either defend or give a reason yeah. why we do or don't want to play somebody and I, I'm about the same way, uh, you know, if, if I have a decision to make, I'm going to look at ownership. Other than that, I'm probably not going to look at it. Um, you know, if I'm having to decide, let's say, between a um, – I mean, in this field, I've already kind of made up my mind, so I'm not going to say that. If, I, if I'm looking at uh, pulling the trigger on a on a Sun JM versus at, at possibly a 6, 6 to 7% owned versus Adam Scott, who's going to be 12 to 15% owned, Sunjay M, no doubt. If I'm trying to make that decision, however, I've already decided I'm gonna play Sunjay over Adam Scott, so it really don't matter. That's just a thought for me. Um, before we get into the mid-range guys, I want to talk about something else that affects the whole field. Um, you know, we know there's some lingering injuries uh, in this in this tournament. We got uh, Hideki, Bryson, Abe Answer, uh, Paul Casey, and Tiger that we know about that have injuries of some sort. And if you look at their ownership, Hideki four, Bryson three, um, answer four percent maybe, Casey ten percent, Tiger somewhere around five, but Tiger's obviously still growing. Who knows what that ownership's gonna be by tomorrow morning? But funny to me is that Casey out of these five, I see him as the most likely to play three holes and be like, My leg hurts too bad, I'm done. Uh over the rest. So that's very interesting to me. Are we staying away from all five of these guys uh in DFS? No, I, I I see it as like opportunity, like especially with Hideki, like Bryson, and like you know with Casey too, but not, not maybe not so much with Bryson. Um, you know, you mentioned we were just talking about ownership a second ago, and this brings up not to you know get off and like chase a rabbit and get off subject, but yeah, I really think ownership matters. Obviously, when you're making your player pool, but how you're configuring your player pool. One thing I love to do if I'm at max entering. 
my highest owned guy, I make sure in my kind of player pool, I make sure to capitalize on my, on as amount of leverage as I can. So likely each week, my highest owned golfer isn't um, a golfer that's popular because the leverage isn't increased in that opportunity. If I, if, if I have a hundred lineups and 60% of my lineups are a golfer who's 30% owned, you know, I, I can't I capitalize that on them enough as I would like. Yeah, it's a little bit safer. So I like to go with golfers around 10%. And then if I like them and, you know, handicap it and, and yeah, they, they check the boxes for me, I might make them my highest on golfer to increase that leverage. And so to tie this back in, Hideki, I, I think he plays all, you know, four rounds. He was using last week precautionary. I, and I, I think he plays well. And it makes me wonder if he's going to be single digits owned and we know what he can do here. Gosh, that gives you an amazing opportunity for leverage. If he does in fact play well at single digits, because everyone's afraid to play him. And now could he go wrong or could it go wrong? And he withdraws after, you know, round one. Yeah. But I'm willing to risk that every single week um, for the rare occurrences. It, it kind of works out for me. You know, it reminds me a little bit, not as, it's not as exaggerated, but at the Open, when Morikawa won, he was talking earlier in the week about, you know, his irons were just feeling weird off the turf. And a lot of people freaked out and they were like, you know, running with their head cut off. And he went on to win. And then everybody was like, gosh, I originally loved Colin and I got off on him. And so when there's um, fears of injuries or, you know, kind of just narratives that exist, like travel and things like that, there's opportunity for ownership. So, you know, I don't know if that really answers your question. I kind of took that and ran with it. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, that's how I conceptualize it and how I see like something like Hideki and ownership. Well, I'll say this, uh, Rob, down here in Tennessee, uh, Joe and I are part of a little friend group that uh, uh, loves sports and love DFS. And we actually had like a little weekly golf DFS league uh, between the 10 of us there for, for a year or two. And um, we had this thing called the list. And uh, once you stuck it to us, you got put on the list. It's really hard in, in East Tennessee to get off that list. And Hideki pulling out of the TPC uh, minutes before his tea time. Has, Joe, yeah. I know, has him uh, penciled in with a Sharpie on that list. And I don't know if he can come off of it this quick. What about it, Joe? He ain't a coming off this week. Uh, no no Hideki for me. Um, I, I totally get where Rob's coming from. And I, and I actually agree. Um, I, I just, I'm a little more concerned about that, the Hideki injury. Um, then, then it sounds like Rob is, um, I, I didn't like the WD last week. Um, you know, I, th I think he was out there kind of as a warm up. So you, you, you'd think he would, could get through that entire tournament, uh, in an attempt to kind of knock the rest. So that's concerning to me a little bit. Uh, as far as Bryson goes, he, he was never on my list, never on my radar this week. Uh, I, I just don't like where his game is right now. I don't like the fit on this golf course. Um, I think he's negatively affected by the lack of green books, which we're seeing that in every event now, but uh, just don't lock him on this layout at the moment. So Bryson's just a complete non-factor for me this week. Uh, and, you know, if he beats me, he beats me. Um, that, that's kind of a stand I'm willing to take. I think you have to, to take some on a slate such as this with, you know, a salary scale that's so packed. Um, Tiger, I won't, won't have any DFS exposure to other than just maybe a little bit in GPPs, you know, a tiny bit. Um, I'm actually pretty interested in Abe answer. 
Uh, I think this is a guy that would be garnering a lot more popularity if if it weren't for kind of that weird WD last week. I, I wish we'd had a little more injury info on him. Um, maybe it's been out there and I just haven't heard. Um, I, I've been trying to kind of track some stuff down, not had any luck with him. But, uh, you know, I'm probably most interested in Abraham answer out of all that group, including Paul Casey. Yeah, um, I'm with you, Joe. Um, I'm just concerned. And I don't know, is it just me or does it seem like this year the injuries have been more of a thing? I, I, maybe, it's just the, maybe it's just the recent wounds being healed. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely yeah it's always it's always frustrating man it's it's not a it's not something that happens super often um but but when we do have a couple of weeks pop up like like we've had this year uh that that kind of bubbles back up to the surface i think the frustration with the with the lack of kind of clear injury reporting uh which is kind of a broader scale issue than just the dfs one um it's something that the pga tour should probably try to figure out but uh, nevertheless, it's a it's a frustrating thing when it does happen. Um, so I, t- I totally get you. And it feels like it's kind of been something going on here the last few weeks. Okay, guys. So let's just lead, since we're talking about injuries, let's just re- lead right into Tiger. Uh, w- what's our thoughts on him this week? Um, and I'll, I'll go first this time. Um, yeah, I, I said it last night. I, I, I clearly see him making the cut. I, I see um, him, you know, being around par probably for the week. And uh, seeing those wincing looks that he always gives whenever he's not playing great, but not playing bad, you know, you know, maybe making three birdies and three bogeys around. That's kind of what I see this week going like uh, all week long. And it'll be the, the the foot and the ankle will be a major discussion piece on every interview about how it hurts, the pain he's enduring. Not this is not a knock on Tiger. I love Tiger. If he wins this week, I'll be probably crying like a baby. But uh, that's just my thoughts. That's how I see this week going with him. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm definitely out on him. Um, but I do see him competing and making the cut. Yeah, I I agree. And I'm you know I haven't seen the swing in person and seen him play. But you know, our lo- our logical mind says that nobody can recover from that injury in this amount of time over a year and then play at Augusta, which is, you know, an insane walk and kind of compete. But, you know, Tiger isn't logical. He's like, he's a different specimen. And so I I, I agree. I think he's going to make the cut. I think we'll even surprise people, you know, Thursday and Friday. I do worry about as it gets into the weekend, you know, his stamina, but I think we'll be around for the weekend. And I think maybe even like Friday afternoon, he'll, you know, sniff top 10 and everything will be excited. What about you, Joe? Yeah, uh, yeah that would be, that would be really cool to see. Um, issues. That would be really cool to see. Um, and I think, I think one thing which is going to be tough for us to to predict is you know kind of the adrenaline factor uh you know like if like rob said if he is kind of in the hunt does make a run there you know on a saturday or something uh then then all of a sudden it's very very interesting when it when he, if he's in the mix but you know if he goes out grinds out a made cut uh kind of kind of not really in contention uh you know i could see him just kind of fading kind of fading away it's it's very interesting man i mean the, this guy's just He's unbelievable. Um, I mean, I know that he says he wouldn't play if he didn't think 
he had a chance to win, but you know, in, in his mind, <laughs> he probably really does believe that, but maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's because he's one of the most competitive guys we've ever seen uh, in, in any sport, much less golf. So, you know, I, I think it's awesome that he's out there pulling for him. But, uh, you know, from a from a DFS perspective, uh, it's just not anything I'm going to have much interest in. I agree. I agree, Joe. Um, moving on to the mid mid range guys, and this this is really where I feel like this tournament's one and one lost every every year. Uh, you know, finding a couple guys between eighty five hundred and and say seventy five hundred. You finding the two guys that finished in the top five, plucking two guys out of that range. I got Lowry, Neiman, uh, Russell Henley, Corey Connors, Matthew Fitzgerald. Those look like those are going to be the top ownership guys, and. Um, out of that group, man, I, I like a lot. <laughs> I like three out of the five. Uh, I've got three out of the five green-lighted. I'm not big on Russell Henley on this place. And uh, I sh my concerns, even though the talent's there, uh, the Joaquin Neenum being paired with Tiger and his low ball flight issue on this golf course, he's going to underperform, I believe, uh, of his average. Um, so, but I, I do like Lowry, Corey Connors, and Matthew Fitzpatrick, or Fitz yeah matthew fitzpatrick that's the other name i've had trouble more cow i've been calling montgomery and i've been calling fitzpatrick uh <laughs> i'm telling you what buddy it's streaming eight days in a row it's getting me getting the best of me i like calling montgomery though that yeah like that's it that's it singer doesn't it <laughs> yeah that's montgomery. it so so you know everything about this tournament says don't play fitzpatrick to me um as far as the distance but man, he and, and he hasn't had great results here. But if you look at the statistics, man, and I know statistics are just the number we choose to pick something or, or 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 don't pick something. But I mean, the guy's like number three in the field in par five scoring. How's that possible? I, I mean, he got he he couldn't he couldn't get it on a green and two at Beaverbrook, Joe. Well, he's a he's a great wedge player, man. Uh, a lot of these. Uh, you know, a lot of these these courses we've been seeing on the Florida swing, you know, you talk, you talk about uh, Bay Hill, you talk about Honda, um, TPC on, in some some instances, uh, three shot par fives. Uh, and he's an excellent wedge player. And and it's really kind of interesting to think about how the uh, the lengthening of, of uh, 15 might actually, you know, help a guy like a Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, if it's going to make more of these guys, uh, you know, be forced to lay back uh, and make it a three shot par five. You know, a guy like Matt Fitzpatrick uh, might see a little bump in that scenario. But, yeah, it's uh, really surprising just how good he's been on on par fives. It, not, a, not a long hitter by any means. Uh, I, I like him this week. Uh, I also like Russell Henley. I'm much higher on him than you are, AP. Um, he, he's one of my core four plays this week, and uh, I'll be heavily invested in Henley. Uh, like Fitzpatrick, um, this 7K range is just endlessly interesting. Um because we've got just such a nice blend of, you know, we've got veterans. Uh, we, you know, we, we saw last year Justin Rose and showing up in horrible form uh, comes out and shoots a shoots a beautiful opening round to take the lead, and he kind of hangs tough all week. Ends up, I think, with T seven last year. Um, you know, you've got a guy like that. You've got a you got a Bubba. You got a Webb Simpson who's got some injury questions. He's he's working his way back. Uh, a Bubba Watson, former winner, that always seems to show up here. Um, so th this 7K range, uh, I think there's, you know, we're, we kind of want to talk about pivots and ownership. 
Uh, I think there's certainly some ways to get contrarian uh, in the seven K range while while still playing a you know a viable golfer. Um, so it's 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 really interesting. Uh, interested to hear what Rob's got to say about the seven K range. Look, you you got me worried about Fitzpatrick if he can't get it in two at the Beaver. I, <laughs> I I'm a little worried about that. Then I might have to get him out. I'm, I'm 12 years old, but I, you know, I, the, the following, I, I love Russell Henley and, and I'm getting worried that it's like becoming a square play, like nothing against you, but I square play in the sense of, it just seems kind of obvious, right? Like the guy is having a heck of a year, like has yet to miss a cut this year and last two starts has two top 15, his last two starts at the masters, albeit they've been a few years ago, two top 15s and his last two starts at the masters. A reasonable salary. Um, you know, it's the year of the dog. You know, the Georgia Bulldogs, the one national championship. That's a real thing. So you're the dog. I think Russell Henley plays well. Uh, you know, he, he is, you have all like, you know, Andrew, you talk about the, they have all the stats in the world to justify our liking. And they're easy to find with Russell. He, he has a lot of great strokes gained data. And when, when Russell first came on tour, you know, his first start, he, he won at Sony. And that year, he was one of the better putters on tour, and that has really fallen off. And I kind of believe in his back class with the putter. And so I really like Russell Henley, but I just think like it's, it might be too obvious. And I, it just has me worried because those never work out. Maybe a less obvious play in a, in a pivot is uh, Hatton. He's, he's been in excellent form, too, especially in the spring. Uh, I think in his last three starts, he has a second, a 13th, and a 21st. Game stroke on approach and is uh, like last two or three in a row. Played well at the Valspar. You know, hasn't had the greatest course history at Augusta, but he's kind of playing better. He got a tie T18 here last year. That's his best result so far. But he is exceptional at putting. He like leads almost every or is near the top in every key putting statistic uh, that there is. And so if he can just, you know, keep his ball striking form, and allow his putter to do what his putter does. I think he'll will continue to to improve in his Masters, uh, you know, kind of history, and he'll play well this year. So I really like him. And if there's another guy at in the seven K range, it's Max Homa, who again is a debutant, first time here, but it just seems like he would fit well. Hits his long irons well, plays well in difficult golf courses, streaky with the putter. Um, but yeah, as a guy that maybe might go low owned or low ish owned, that could maybe sneak in a top fifteen and help your lineups out. Uh, Max Holm is my guy. So I was listening to a podcast today, and I, I, I've been on this trend where I don't listen to any shows uh, before I get all my data in, and then I go back and listen later. And uh, they were. Talking, you know, Max Homa is going to be pretty high, uh, decently high owned as well. And uh, he is, you know, I mean, well, I say decently, he's going to be double digits. How's that? He's in 7,100. I don't, I don't know if he's, I mean, I can get co crack for, it's going to be maybe, maybe even 3% owned uh, for around the same price. And uh, it'd be hard for me to, I know, I know co crack hasn't played as well this year as he did last year, but it'd be hard for me to make a case against. To play Homa over him when I'm getting, uh, you know, eight to ten percent better on ownership there. Thoughts on that? That's just that's just a pivot move. We're getting deep in yeah. the statistics here, folks. Deep. We, we're getting, we, split we hairs. Are, well, it's, yeah, I mean, Kokrak. Yeah, 
you know, it seems lost. Even though he got, I think he got an albatross, or not an albatross, a hole-in-one in the par three contest today. I think I saw that, or that could have been something else. So, you know, maybe that carries over. But, uh, hey, I'm not touching Kokrak. I'd rather go, you know, the ownership uh, numbers I'm looking at, Kokrak isn't much um, lesser owned than a Bubba Watson. And so, you know, Joe talked about him really well, multiple-time winner here. Watson played well earlier in the year. He finished second to – uh, HB3 out in like the Middle East, I believe, and played well in his first tournament back here. Um, you know, been okay, maybe not so okay lately, but he's coming to a place he loves. Um, I, I want to get your all's opinion on Robert McIntyre. He's like turning into like the new girl at school that like everybody loves. And I, I think it's the, the T12 and his like current form is like combining to make him like a, We'll kind of say a chalky sleeper play. Um, it, I don't think the ownership numbers are showing it, but I'm just hearing a lot of chatter about McIntyre, and I think it might be a little inflated. What do you all think, if you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think he's uh, <clears throat> he's definitely getting some steam as, as kind of the week progresses, Rob. Um, but, you know, like you mentioned, the strong finish here last year, um, he's a lefty, which, you know – Kind of sounds weird to say, but we, we know how, how well left-handed players have played here. Um, and he played extremely well on his debut last year, I believe. Uh, he was first or second with 20 or 21 uh, combined birdies and eagles last year. So, you know, the kid certainly proved he was able to score at Augusta National. Uh, and he went on to play really well in the Open Championship. So, you know, uh, I think there's there's just a couple of things there that are sticking out for people. Uh, when, when you look at this stuff for as long as we have, I mean, going on uh, 10 days, two weeks, whatever, how long we've been looking at the salary scale, um, you know, you got time to dig in. And I think there's enough there with Robert McIntyre uh, that's kind of making him pop for people. I don't mind him. Uh, you know, it, I don't love him as a chalky value option. Um, but you know, he's, he's, he's a guy you can, you can look at down here in this range. There's a lot of talent down here, man. Uh, Cameron Young, I, I feel like is a guy that, that could kind of be this year's Will Zalatoris. Uh, he, he might pop out of nowhere and kind of surprise people. I know we know who he is. Uh, folks that play PGA DFS regularly are aware of Cameron Young. Um, I don't think the, uh, kind of the greater golf community as a whole is, uh, talking about just the casual fan that watches, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, so, uh, you know, I think we could see some big things from Cameron Young. I th he's a really talented player. Yeah, so let's get down in the, in the, down in the long shot range. I've got, you know, the, the three hot guys in the, in the low sevens that are besides Bobby Mack. Um, is, uh, I got Hogue, who's a first-time player. Um, I've got Peters, who has a, a good finish here at one time, but – and, and he's – we know he's got all the talent to do to be a, a, a really a rock star in the golf golf world. Uh, we saw a little bit of that uh, life back in the match play, what we what we thought he could be five years ago, and then uh, like somebody like a Brian Harmon, who really the course shouldn't fit him, but he seems to have decent results here. Those guys, you know, maybe are going to be pushing double digit ownership. We're going to need to get into the six K range this week because it's going to be hard not to put a couple of guys at 9K and above in your lineup. So where are you guys looking at down here in the 6K range? I love Hoagie, but let's be honest, first-time player. Uh, I was listening to Nagels and Andy Pope today, and they, you know, he said Tom's probably taking this in a little bit, you know, and, 
and having a good time with it. First time there. So what what does that concern you at all when you're dipping down in there? I mean, I, under normal circumstances, I love him, but the first time playing here is, makes me a little nervous. Yeah, I, I love the 6K range for a lot of reasons. You know, one, because of the condensed field, the you know, there's going to be more likelihood that these players have, make the cut than any other tournament. So if we're, if we're thinking of it as it's like a WGC, then it can maybe be more beneficial to go the stars and scrubs approach because some of these scrubs, some of these long shots are going to have a better chance to make the cut. Yeah, the field is tougher, but again, you also got the Larry Mises and the Mike Weirs and the, the you know, the past champions that are in the field. So um I, I like the 6K range a lot. And I will just say one thing that kind of tends to happen as you get in the 6K range is that the, you know, you don't want that, you don't want a five of six and the 6K golfer to mess up your six of six of six percentage. So we can really overthink and just be kind of freak ourselves out with a six of six uh, percentage in the 6K. So point being is make sure you're thinking more on what can go right for a golfer in this range than what can go wrong. Because if you're thinking what can go wrong, you're going to be tinkering your lineups all the time. And so if you're thinking what can go right, it's going to help you. So what I think is going to go right in the 6K range, I really like EVR, a great Bermuda putter, um, an excellent one, matter of fact, great with the long irons. He's a debutante, first time here, not too concerned at it because at six, you know, at 6,600, we don't need him. We don't need him to be you know, uh, a top five guy, top 10, a top, top 15 or 20 can do it for you, depending on the contest. Also like his countryman, Bizetinuk, kind of for the same reasons, another great Bermuda putter, better around the greens, um, hasn't been playing well ball striking, but I think there's tons of upsides. I'm really high in just his overall talent. Uh, I'm with you on Hoagie. Straka is another guy that has played well recently, obviously won, uh, I believe at the Honda, and kind of had played well with the players like him. My favorite play in this sicko range, which is a 6K range, is Stuart Sink. I tied 12 here last year. Sneaky driving distance. I think in the last 24 rounds, he ranks 24th in driving distance in the whole field. Uh, excuse me, 14th in driving distance within the whole field over the last 24 rounds. Um, and he's played well. Played well at the Valspar. He gained 5.1 on approach. He's going to Hilton Head next week where he's going to try to uh, repeat, but it's 6,400 and really low owned. You know, Sink is kind of flying under the radar and he's with his length and his, how he finished last year and his form. 6,400 could do it for me if I'm trying to fit in some high salary guys up top. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm probably the most Stuart Sink salesperson on, on the internet i would say wouldn't you joe in 20 2020 and 2021 for sure yeah um, we've uh we've definitely had some stuart sink exposure lately and uh it's actually went really well for us i i brought him up last night when we talked with tambo down here is kind of one of my favorite sleepers and and i'm i'm in lockstep with rob on this i think he's He's flying under the radar. He's a veteran, uh, which which is going to scare a lot of people off, but still got plenty of distance uh, off the tee and and obviously knows this course well and can play well here. And and, and as Rob mentioned, the Valspar, uh, his most recent start of the year was also his best start of the year. So uh, the arrow's pointing up uh, for Sink heading into this week. Yeah, I, I, I love Stuart Sink. His son, I think his son's still in the bag. He's, he's had major success since his son's been caddying for him. Uh, I wouldn't surprise me if top 15, top 10, you know, 
Um, okay, so guys, I feel like we're coming to a close on tonight's episode. So, uh, Rob, what we do at the end of every episode, we ask, uh, we, we, we find out who our heart and who our dart is. And what we define those as our hearts, who we really think is going to win the tournament. The dart play is, is, um, is the guy that, you know, you're throwing the dart across the room. It's going to land on a long shot. And I'm going to throw one more thing in there since it's the last call for the Masters. We're going to say, like, uh, throw, a, throw, a, throw a wager out there that we just can't not love. Uh, well, we well, I, we had the PJ Tout got on here and gave us a, a a guaranteed lock on the low am. So uh, I'm gonna ask that for you all too tonight. Starting with you, Rob. Who do you think? Who is your long shot of the week? What we call the dart play. The long shot, and I don't know if what you're considering uh, long shot, but I got him at 55 to one, and that's Adam Scott, a previous winner here, excellent and win which it is going to be windy for the first three days at least. But surprising, Adam Scott, what we know about him is not surprising. His ball striking has one of the best swings literally ever on, on tour. But his putting's been incredible. He's been one of the better putters here here recent, recently in a number of statistics of three-putt avoidance. And then on fast Bermuda greens, he, I think he's like raked out the, the – he's like third in the field. So pr- pretty surprising. Uh, again, obviously one here. He's kind of my longest shot. And for a guy that, you know, my head is, and it's not, you know, a, a sexy pick because it's so popular. I literally, I watched SportsCenter at the Masters today, and they picked JT. You go on Twitter, everyone's picking JT. I, I'm picking JT. I have a little bit of bias from him because he's from, uh, you know, where I'm from, uh, kind of in the same neighborhood, so to speak. So I'm, I'm a big JT guy. I know his dad well, Mike. Um, he, he's my pick to win, and it's not just – for that bias uh, he's hitting the ball as best he can he's attaching himself to tiger at the hip you know rom you know called he said he's getting a dissertation from from woods a little bit so he knows how to or he's getting to learn how to work your way around augusta it just feels like his time and then a best bet you know i'm not you know i i'm fully honest i'm not the best at, at kind of betting and and finding that but something i think would be kind of great value um uh, I might go with, uh, if there was a bet that, you know, top 20 play on Stewart sink. And that might be, you know, I would imagine that might be four or five to one, but it could be worse, could be better. Uh, so that might be my bet if that was out there. All right, Joe, your turn, your turn. We've held off all week, but we give our heart and dart of the week. Uh, you've had a long time to think about it. Uh, who's yours this week, Joe? Yeah, I've, uh, I've maybe had too long to think about it, man. <laughs> Waffling back and forth, uh, going all over the place. Uh, uh, I'm locked in with my heart, man. Uh, I've only made uh, only made three outright bets this week, and and my biggest bet was on Brooks Kepka at twenty to one. Um, I love him from a DFS perspective as well. The ownership has moved up uh, as the week has progressed, which I'm kind of bummed about. Uh, I was hoping maybe we could catch him. Uh, a little bit lower um but you know i I love his toughness i think he showed enough this year as far as form uh i think the motivation's there hurt in last year's masters but uh you know it's a guy last three majors uh, of 2021 finished inside the top six um you know when the pga at kiowa uh, and the u.s open i mean we could realistically be talking about this guy winning two majors last year uh kind of backdoored at the open but 
Uh, I, I love Brooks in this spot, uh, you know, especially when we look at some of the other numbers. I know we're all mentioned JT, who I also love, and Phil has a great But, you know, when you see 12, 14, and 1, uh, and Brooks at 20, uh, and with the cheaper DFS price tag as well, uh, that, that's just where I'm going. Uh, my dart, um, I don't know that he's a dart anymore. Russell Henley uh, is probably my favorite kind of value-ish play uh, on the board if we're talking – you know, DFS-wise, I love him on over on FanDuel. I know a lot of people don't play over there. They play on DraftKings, but he's extremely cheap over on FanDuel at just 9K uh, on that sal- salary scale. Also affordable on the DraftKings uh, slate at 7,900. So, uh, Russell Henley's my dart, and uh, Brooks Kepka is where my heart is this week. Okay. All right. My dart play of the week is probably not going to be considered dart uh, from a DFS perspective, but uh, it's a dart play from the standpoint. This is his first time ever showing going through the gates at Augusta. We, we haven't had a first time winner since Fuzzy Zeller. That's well documented. Almost had um, uh, Willie Z last year. Sam Burns wins the, wins the Masters this year as, as a dart play for me. You can find him, wow. I think, as, as high as 50 to 1 in some places. Uh, that's, that's, that's who I think wins, or that's my dark play of the week. And, and I've tossed back and forth between two guys on who I think is actually going to win, uh, from a heart's perspective. And I was totally in 100% fade mode on this guy until I heard the interview. And I, I wrote it up in the, um, on the round table tonight that, uh, from a DFS standpoint, I, I told you all my number one guy is DJ, but I, I really think John Rahm wins this tournament. I don't and puts on the jacket um i know he's been struggling with the putter and i'm I'm really not sure what it is um did not play great the match play but he played better than he has been uh but he feels with his game and his skill set it just makes a lot of sense on this golf course uh so i'm I'm just gonna stick with john rom on that um as far as the 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 biggest value i've I've probably ever seen ever uh i I come across it today (laughs) Uh, first round only, Stuart has uh, uh, how has say his name Stuart Hagstead, yeah, uh, the, yeah, the 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 mid am who finished thirty six a few years back played and uh, I think it was Sergio played with him and said, man, this guy we got some serious game. He's matched up with Sandy Lyle in the first round minus two fifty, uh, and uh, I think that's pretty good. You know, I think Sandy Lyle's maybe broke eighty like one round in the last decade, um, so <laughs> um, I like that a lot in the first round. So anyway, guys, hey, uh, I know hey, that's, uh, Andrew, that's out there. Um, Andrew, before we get out of here, just, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of closing things out before this tournament gets kicked off. Uh, before we get out of here, I've had a couple of people ask me about the weather and, and with what we had going on with the players, I, I feel, feel like it's worth addressing. And, and if you guys have heard anything, chime in, but from, from what I'm seeing, uh, the heaviest, uh, wind kind of coming in is supposed to be Friday afternoon. Um, you know, with gust up to maybe 30 miles an hour, I'm seeing, uh, I've seen, seen them, uh, listed as high as that. Um, but I also think it's supposed to be pretty breezy Thursday afternoon. So I, I don't know that there's a huge, huge advantage. Um, just kind of wanted to see if Robin looked into that at all, uh, or if you see anything, Andrew, on the weather, cause I've had a couple people asking me about that. Yeah, Joe, I, I think you're exactly right that on, I think that what I'm on Windfinder, it talks about that it's going to blow Thursday and it's going to blow a little harder Friday um, afternoon. Mm-hmm. The, the weird thing with the Masters is that because it's a smaller field, everybody starts on one. 
Yeah. And the tee times aren't like the splits of the AM PM on the Thursday, Friday aren't exactly fair. Like you have a guy like Sepp Straka who starts, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe early in the morning tomorrow, but then also has an AM, it's a late AM, but still an AM tea time on Friday. And so if you can get both AM tea times on Thursday, Friday, that's a huge advantage because it's going to blow the hardest in the afternoon. Then on the other end, you got guys who are going to, in the final group, and you got some studs. It's like Scott, Rory, Brooks, who, who start off in late afternoon. And then it's like late a.m. They play their next day. So it's a little it's a little weird how the Masters organize the tee times. And so, but I really don't think it's something that should scare people off. Maybe if you have like a tiebreaker, you're between one or two golfers, yeah. go to the golfer that might have the easier, you know, play earlier in the morning or earlier in both days. But um, it seems, you know, five to six miles per hour isn't a large difference. So it seems a little, um, you know, I, fair is a wrong word, but fair-ish. Yeah, I haven't, I'm, I'm with you, man. I haven't seen anything to, to make me feel like it's necessary to start going into kind of tea time stacks or anything. Mm -hmm. The only, the only thing I saw on it was if you played maybe late AM, uh, the first day and, you know, early AM the second day you're going to have the most consistent between the 36 hole period that you're on the golf course. That's all I've seen. I know that they've, they've talked, if you have a, an earlier tea time Thursday morning, a later tea time Tuesday or Friday, then you're going to play two different golf courses, but we're really not going to run into that. Like you said, the tea times, the way the field's so small, everybody tees off on one. Um, you know, it, it was a lot wilder whenever, you know, they repaired every round. That was, that was a lot wilder back in the day, but that's not the case anymore. But, uh, Rob, man, thank you for coming on uh, tonight and uh, love to do it again. Thank you for all of our guests so far this week leading up to the, this, this is the last call of the masters. Um, you know, I feel like we've covered just about every end and probably a couple of things a few times. So uh, appreciate you coming on uh, long live the, the, the big blue and the big orange rivalry forever. I uh, love to play golf sometime. You said you come down to Knoxville a few times, give us a ring anytime. He's Joe Nicely. I'm Andrew Putters. You have listened to the Turn Fancy Golf Podcast brought to you by Rotoballer.com. It's going to drive me. It's going to drive me.